Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Now, I want you to notice, again, if we just reread verse 18. Uh, It says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, still a part of the same sentence, says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And you see that's giving some of the results of being filled with the Spirit. In fact, that, that sentence that begins in verse 18 uh, doesn't finish till you get down to the end of verse 21. You see uh, verse 19 tells you that one of the results of being filled with the Spirit is this this uh, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Verse 20 talks about giving thanks always. And verse 21 talks about submitting yourselves one to another. And there you have three things that are the result of being filled with the Spirit. It doesn't say be filled with the Spirit and speak in strange tongues. It doesn't say be filled with the Spirit and, uh, you know, be, be, uh, have, have uncontrollable laughter. It doesn't say be filled with the Spirit and, you know, all these other things that people associate with being filled with the Spirit. Rather, here being filled with the Spirit results in, first of all, in the verse we're going to look at today, it results in a, you could say, a song in your heart. You see that, that verse 19 talks about how the believer is to speak in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, um, you know, music is, a, is an interesting thing. And, of course, there's all different kinds of styles of music. The verse here doesn't say any, anything about what, what kind of style of music that it's describing. Um, but you understand that, that music can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing, right? In fact, let's go back... Let's go back into the book of Genesis and just look at a a few things with regard to to music. Actually, uh, before you even go to Genesis, go to to Ezekiel. Go to Ezekiel chapter 28. And um, here in Ezekiel 28, we have a, a description of a being that as we read the passage, we can see pretty clearly who it's describing. Uh, It calls this individual in Ezekiel 28, verse 12, the king of Tyrus. And you know that Tyrus, or Tyre, was a a city up to the north of Israel. And uh, here it talks about the king of Tyrus. It's interesting in Ezekiel 28, by the way, that the... The uh, verse 2 talks about the prince of Tyrus, 
And then in verse 12, it begins to talk to the king of Tyrus, which seem to be two different individuals. Now, who is this king of Tyrus in Ezekiel 28? Verse 12 says, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Now there's your clue as to who is being talked about in this passage, because there weren't very many people in Eden, the garden of God. Right? Can you think of who was there? Who was there in Eden? You have Adam and Eve, and you have one other individual, and that was the serpent. Right? Well, it's not Adam or Eve that's being talked about here. It's that serpent who we, we, in the book of Revelation, makes clear that the serpent is the devil, is Satan. But here, it, it's not describing him in these, in these uh, first few verses that we'll read here. It's not describing him in his wickedness, but rather in beauty and wisdom. It says, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Verse 14 says, Thou art the anointed cherub, that covereth. And here's again another clue. You know, it's not talking to a, a mere man. Here it's talking to a cherub, one of the cherubim, which are uh, uh, angelic creatures that are associated with the throne of God Himself. And here it describes this, this being as the anointed cherub, a chosen cherub that covereth. And when you compare this with other scripture, it's talking about, you know, there are, there are cherubim that carry the throne of God, four cherubim around the throne of God that carry the throne of God. But here this cherub had the, the position of covering the throne of God, hovering above the throne of God. And uh, a very honored position. It says, I have set thee so, thou wast upon the holy mountain of God, thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. And verse 15 says, thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. And when you continue reading, it describes them in iniquity. And this is, this is talking about Satan, uh, the adversary, but you realize he wasn't always the adversary. And you see here it describes uh, what, he, what he was and then what he has become through iniquity, if you keep reading on. But I want you to notice that as it described all those things that were his, his covering and the, the, uh, those gems and precious metals and things, it says at the end of verse 13, the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes. And tabrets would be like a, like a tambourine. And pipes, it's talking about pipes like, uh, you know, like a, a flute or even like a pipe organ. And you see that there's music associated here with Satan or Lucifer. Now, that was created in him and that workmanship was created in him so that he would have the ability to praise God. 
And whenever you, you see these pictures in the Bible of the heavenly throne room, you see a, a picture of it in um, Isaiah uh, where the, with the seraphim, and there they are singing before God. Uh, when you see in the book of Revelation and the visions that John has of that heavenly throne room, you see singing associated with the presence of the Lord. And you see that, that here... Um, Lucifer himself is equipped with the ability to be able to produce music in honor of God, in praise of God. And of course we know though because of that iniquity that the devil uses his abilities in, in opposition to what God is doing. And so now if we go, go back into the book of Genesis... Um, Man, it seems as well, is, is created with a disposition toward music, all right? Uh, in, in Genesis chapter 4, which is where you would really have the first mention of anything related to music, uh, as, as the scripture begins to talk about the descendants of Cain, and you remember the story of Cain and Abel? And how Abel was, was righteous before God by faith, but Cain, who was trying to be accepted by his works, uh, hated his brother Abel and killed him. And there's this line that comes from Cain. And as it describes the descendants of Cain, you begin to see a, a specialization that takes place as these different families begin to specialize in different crafts and trades. And so in verse 20, for instance, it says that Ada bare Jabel. He was the father of such as dwell in tents and of such as have cattle. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all such as handle the harp and organ. And so here you have, you have uh, people, you know, even specializing in producing music and musical instruments. Now, uh, that line of Cain, it, you know, it's possible there were, there were believers among that line of Cain, but, but uh, generally that line of Cain represents not godliness, but fleshliness. And you realize that music can be a godly thing or it can be a fleshly thing, depending on what its, what its intent is. And here, most likely, the music that these people were involved in was not a, a godly thing, but a fleshly thing. Um, the, the first place, really, where you find music associated with the worship of God is not until you get to the book of Exodus, all through the book of Genesis, you don't, you don't really have music mentioned in association with the worship of God. But it's not until you get to the book of Exodus and go uh, to Exodus chapter 15. Really, the, the things that happen here uh, with Moses are really kind of a picture of what we see in our, in our uh, text verse for today. Uh, here in Exodus chapter 15, this is after the uh, Lord has, has delivered them from the Egyptians, right? And after the Egyptian army, they, came, they crossed over the Red Sea, and the Egyptian army follows after them, and the Lord 
you know, removes his hand there from the sea, and the waters come together, and the entire Egyptian army, which most likely would have been the, the most powerful army on the face of the earth of that day, is completely destroyed. And, and Israel gets away safe. And after that event, in Exodus chapter 15, it says, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God. And I will prepare him in habitation, my father's God, and I will exalt him. And the song goes on here that Moses sang. And it wasn't just Moses, um, Miriam and Moses' sister and other people joined in. And this is more than just a, you know, the kind of a victory song that some pagan might compose in honor to their God. Here, Moses is actually speaking by inspiration. In fact, there are many things in this song of Moses here at this time that are actually prophetic of future events that are going to, going to take place. And Moses is here speaking by inspiration, speaking by the Spirit. Um, now, you know, whether he was filled with the Spirit in the sense that we talked about last time or, or not, uh, he is speaking by the Spirit. And you see a, a picture there that, that Spirit influences him here, and the result is he sings a song. Now, he could have just spoken these words, could have just spoken them as a, you know, as a, a, a prophecy or whatever, or just as a, you know, just, just some spoken uh, statement that he would make. But the Lord inspires him here to sing before the Lord. And uh, this, is, this is, again, the first place where you really see singing associated with the worship of the Lord. But understand that it wasn't very long before you also see singing among Israel that is not in worship to the Lord. And still in the book of Exodus, go over to Exodus chapter 32. In the first few verses of Exodus 32, you, you see the account where as Moses is up on the mountain receiving the, the law from God, the tables of stone, that Israel, down at the base of the mountain, makes this golden calf. You remember, you remember the story? They persuade Aaron to take, they take these earrings and things that they have, and they melt it down, they make this golden calf, and they begin to worship the golden calf. And rather than worshiping the Lord God, who just, I mean, just not very long at all before this, had brought them through the Red Sea, they make this golden calf and they say, this is our God that brought us through the Red Sea. And as, as uh, the Lord tells Moses to go back down, you know, off the mountain, uh, as Moses comes down, they begin to hear the sound from the camp. And in, in uh, verse, I'll start in verse 15, it says, Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hand, and the tables were written on both their sides. On the one side and on the other were they written. And the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, graven upon the tables. 
And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. Now remember, they're a long ways off. Maybe they can see the camp from where they're at, but probably they can't even see it. But they hear a noise. And just, you know, when you hear a noise that's a long ways off, a lot of times it's hard to tell exactly what the noise is. And their first, their first inclination is that somebody had attacked them, that it's the noise of battle. But verse 18, it says, and he, and he said, It is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and brake them beneath the mount. And when you read the whole account here, not only were the people singing and dancing, but they were singing and dancing naked around this golden calf. Uh, things often associated with, with paganism, worship of false gods. And uh, these were no doubt things that they had learned in Egypt and seen the Egyptians do. And they, you know, just so quickly after seeing that miracle of the, the dividing of the Red Sea, you know, always be, before... Any place in the Bible before the resurrection of Christ, when the scripture wants to emphasize the power of God, it points to the crossing of the Red Sea and how the Lord divided the waters. And of all the the Old Testament miracles, you see that above all is the one that demonstrated the power of God. And yet here we come just a few chapters after that. And the Israelites who experienced it, who walked across the sea on dry ground, they're singing and dancing and worshiping a golden calf that they made from, you know, made with their own hands. And it just shows you the, the, uh, that nature of man. And that nature of man to, even, even when experiencing these great things, even as they're at the base of the mount and they can hear the, the thunderings and they see the smoke on the mountain and they see Moses go up into that, that smoke, even there, they... They give themselves over to this idolatry, you see. And so song is something that can be used in worship of God. It's also something that can be used in opposition to God and who God is. Now, if we go back to our text, go back to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19, and also uh, you can get... Colossians chapter 3 at the same time. Um, Here again is a place where it's helpful to look at the parallel passage over in in Colossians. Uh, It gives a a little more detail about what's being described. Uh, Again, our text says, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 19 says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now let's compare that, just hold, you know, put, put your hand there in Ephesians 5 and look at Colossians chapter 3, the parallel verse. Uh, we looked at the beginning part of Colossians 3.16 last week in connection with being filled with the Spirit, which uh, Colossians 3, instead of using that term, be filled with the Spirit, it says to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom in verse 16. And then it says, teaching and admonishing one another 
in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So when Ephesians 5 says you're to be speaking to yourselves, that's not talking about uh, the kind of thing I do when I'm preparing to speak where I pace around the house and talk to myself, right? Uh, Brooke laughs at me sometimes because that's, that's, that's what I do when I'm preparing to speak. Is I, and I do laps, you know. I like pace back and forth, one end of the house to the other, and I'm just kind of speak, you know, speaking to myself. Um, I don't do it completely out loud. I kind of do it under my breath, but it's pretty obvious what I'm doing. That's not what the verse is talking about. It's not saying to walk around speaking to yourself. It's, when it says speaking to yourselves, it's talking about to one another as believers, as, as saints, to be speaking to one another. And you see what Colossians does. Colossians defines for you what the speaking is to be. It's to be teaching and admonishing. And so the, the first thing when it comes to music in, in the church and Christian music is the emphasis is on teaching. And you know that, that music is a very powerful way to teach. Um, if, if you've ever tried to you know, just memorize something, whether it be scripture or anything else, if you can put it to a tune, it's a lot easier to, to memorize. And uh, music often can be used as what's called a mnemonic device, something that, that will help you to remember something. There's, other, there's certainly other things you can use for that purpose, but music often works very well, especially when you're, when you're working with children. If you can take a verse and put it to some kind of a, a, a song or a tune, they'll be able to pick it up much more easily. In fact, if you think about, think about just yourself and how many song lyrics you have memorized, right? I mean, just think about it. You, you hear a song come on the radio, and you instantly know all the words to that song. And, and think about how many songs there are like that for you. Now, how many, you know, how many just passages of just spoken word do you have memorized? Probably not very many. You know, some people go out and memorize poetry or they memorize large sections of books and that kind of thing. But most people don't have much of that memorized. But think about how, how many song lyrics you have memorized. And it's really a lot when you start to think about it. When you think how many songs there are that you can hear on a, on a tape or a CD or that come on the radio and you instantly know all the words to that song. In fact... Um, you know, when we compare how many song lyrics we have memorized to how many verses of scripture we have memorized, we uh, probably all have a little bit of reason to to reflect on what, you know where our where our priorities are. But you know, the music can be a powerful thing to to memorize scripture as well. And the, you know, there's a lot of interesting things about music. They've been doing a lot of research recently on how music affects people with advanced advanced stages of dementia and Alzheimer's. And you know that there are people who cannot recognize their own family members, in some cases cannot even speak, and yet they can hear a song that they know and even start to sing along with, with the song. It, it activates parts of the brain that are not active otherwise. 
and they're they're beginning to experiment with using music as a as a therapy to use that music as kind of a gateway to help those people improve other other areas of memory as well and it just shows how much God has designed us for music to be a part of us now the music that we relate to and the music that we that we sing and the song that's in our heart is going to reflect really who we are and what we think about the world and what we think about uh, the, the things of God's Word. And, and I'll tell you that many people have learned false doctrines not from a message preached from a pulpit, not from misunderstanding a verse of Scripture, but they've learned a false doctrine because they heard it in a hymn book. And there are many things that people uh, believe because they, they sing it in some hymn that if you ask them, well, where's the verse in the Bible to support that? And they, they couldn't give you a verse, oftentimes because there isn't a verse. All right? And so music is something to be very careful about. And when it comes to Christian music, one of the most important things when it comes to music is not what, what the style of music is or what instruments are in the music or or that kind of thing but it's what does it teach right what do the what do the lyrics teach what do the words of the song teach and if you're going to judge christian music that's that's the first place to judge it all right is is it teaching true doctrine or is it teaching false doctrine you know that there, there are a lot of songs in the hymn book that we don't sing, um, even though they're well-known songs that probably a lot of us would know, but they have false doctrine in them. And the, the, the danger is, uh, you know, that, that song, those songs that we sing, in a lot of ways are as much a part of the, the, the message and the service and the edification as what, what the sermon is. Uh, like I said, there you know many of the songs that we sing and songs that we sing regularly and and over and over. Um, you, you can remember more about those songs than you remember about any particular message that's been preached, right? And so you have to be careful that the songs that you are are singing and and the songs that are going through your head are things that are reflecting sound doctrine. Okay, now. So, so the goal there is to be that teaching and admonishing. And, and by the way, there are some things that, you know, that you can go and study about styles of music and that kind of thing. I mean, I, I do believe that there are styles of music that are more glorifying to God than others, but they're usually not, the, the breakdown usually doesn't come where, where, people, where people put those divisions. And uh, I would, you know, some of the some of the best writing I've seen on the subject is uh, some of the work by Francis Schaeffer, where he looks at at history and he looks, for instance, at the the music of the Reformation uh, in comparison to the music of the the Renaissance, which was largely a, a godless movement. And you know, there's there's comparisons that can be made. Uh, you can make comparison with the music of the world and music that has been associated with the church. But uh, the, and, and you know, I mean, I could, I could talk more about that, and I could probably say enough to make you think that I knew what I was talking about, but I really don't, don't know that much about it. But here, ne- never in the Bible do you see it 
you know, criticizing one style of music or, or another or, or whatever. Uh, in fact, the, the words that are listed here, when it says psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, first of all, it lists the psalms. And, you know, you have a, a book of psalms in your Bible, which were the, the inspired songbook of the temple. Uh, in the temple, those were the songs that they used. And, and you know that, that there was no uh, singing. We saw that singing there with Moses. But as far as the formal religious worship of the Lord in the tabernacle, there was no singing associated with it. There were no singers in the tabernacle. Now, that's not to say people didn't, didn't sing from time to time. But as far as the, the formal worship... There wasn't any music or singing uh, associated with it. It's not until you get to the temple, and as David was making the preparations for the temple, that he commissioned these, these families of singers to serve in the temple. And you know, of course, David himself was a singer and wrote many of those psalms that are in the book of Psalms. And th- those were the songbook for the temple. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.